listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, truly I say to you, he's pouring himself out. When Jesus says, truly I say to you, and in the meantime, he's already been speaking truth. He never lies. But when Jesus says, truly, before anything he says, it means pay extra special attention. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the interesting thing is that if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that when Jesus says you got to become like a child, that means being teachable, going places where your parents take you, you know, being teachable in that kind of regard. Well, that's true, but it doesn't take it far enough because the word that's used in the original language for children means infant, baby, newborn. That's the idea. Now, when you have an infant or a baby or a newborn, they can't do a doggone thing for themselves. They have, you have to change their diaper. You determine whether or not that baby is going to eat and what they're going to eat. That's the idea. That's the word that's used there. Unless or until you turn and become like a little infant, absolutely hopeless, absolutely helpless, absolutely incapable of doing anything for yourself and depend entirely upon God, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to make that decision. No one can make it for you. I had to make that decision, and it's a decision I have to make perpetually, continually. I have to continually turn and repeatedly become again and again and again and again like a little child, an infant who's completely incapable of helping himself. If I'm going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that means I have to have complete dependence upon God every moment of my life. There's a turning point where that happens first. It happens for the very first time. And then thereafter, we are to continue with that mindset. There's a sense in which God is continually having us revisit, continually having you revisit the idea of humility and absolute entire complete dependency on your heavenly father. Without that, it is not possible to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says so. Now, little children are beautiful to look at. They're adorable when they're newborns. They're cute. But as time passes, that infant becomes a one-year-old and then a two-year-old, a toddler, several years old, and you could see them in restaurants. When you go to a restaurant, maybe you've done this, you've gone to a restaurant, and there's been a family there with a young kid, young enough to be able to talk, eating their children's meal, while the rest of the family's eating their meal, and sometimes you see this with uh, families where there's a lot of kids, and the family's totally engaged in this conversation, but the littlest of the kids is done with their meal, or maybe in the middle of their meal, and they want a little something extra on their meal. And so what happens is the finger goes into the nose. <laughs> the finger goes into the nose, and the parents don't even see it. They're engaged in their meal. They're on their date night with the whole rest of the kids, the whole family. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about when I say that kind of a date night. That's the only thing you can get. Take what you can get. And when they come to their senses, they realize what the little kid's doing. They'll say, hey, get your finger out of your nose. You can't pick your nose in public. 
You can't do that. You can't pick your nose. And the kid is, you know, obliges the parents. I'm so- sorry, mommy. I'm sorry, daddy. And then the parents go back to eating and the kid goes back to eating. And then eventually that little kid, that same kid, because he, wa- he or she wasn't successful in the first place, takes that same finger. It goes up that same nostril. It pulls out something brand new. And it goes into the mouth. Oh, Little kids do that all the time. You have to retrain them. You can't, get, you can't pick your nose in public. Listen, you can pick your friends. You can pick your nose. You can't pick your friend's nose. You know that. Pick your nose in private all you want. Don't pick it in public. Don't put that finger in your mouth. There's something disgusting about that. There's something disturbing about a nose picker, that kind of a nose picker. Man, you know, something that's worse than being a nose picker is being a nitpicker. Spiritual nitpicker, from God's perspective, a nitpicker is far worse than a nose picker. Turn with me. Luke chapter 6 in our Father's Word. If you have a smartphone or if you have a tablet, a pad device, you can follow along using the God Factor app as we look in our Father's Word at Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. By the time we're done with this whole series, who knows when we'll be done, but we will have covered every single verse in the Gospel of Luke. And you'll know Jesus like perhaps you never knew him before, and you'll know how to live for Jesus perhaps like never before. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, Jesus... His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. Mesmerized by this, the Pharisees and the scribes fell down on their knees and said, truly, you are God's Messiah. You are the Son of God. That's not what happens. Here is God himself, God in the flesh, showing up on the scene, moving face to face. They are witnessing what you and I are not witnessing today. They are seeing Jesus Christ in the flesh, the manifestation of the Son of God in the flesh right before their very eyes. They see him. They've heard his teachings. In chapter 5, it's recorded. Jesus says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus' famous favorite saying about himself, the way he would refer to himself is as the Son of Man, a reference from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is a a statement, a phrase, a title given to somebody who's given authority to judge the nations, authority to rule. And Jesus either with great audacity or with great intentionality, 
continually recalls himself, calls himself the Son of Man. I am him who's spoken of in the scriptures. He has authority to forgive sins. He has the capability, the capacity, at will, whatever he wants to, to heal somebody, to give teachings that were mesmerizing, the teachers of his day. Jesus was head and shoulders above them. He was putting his money where his mouth was, able to heal, able to forgive sins, not just teach like the Pharisees and the scribes could only do. And while Jesus is in the midst of doing all of this, a man's hand is withered and it's on the Sabbath and Jesus is in the synagogue and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he looks to the left and he looks to the right. He knows that all eyes are fixated on him. He knows that he has their enraptured attention. Jesus is either a raving lunatic or he's actually who he says he is. In the midst of all this, they're looking at him. You probably could have heard a pin drop in this instance. He heals the man's withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And what do those religious nitpickers do? They pick a fight with him. They can't see the forest through the trees. They're so caught up in their religiosity, so caught up in things being they're done their way, so caught up in people following them that they had forgotten that their primary purpose in life was to help people follow the leader of leaders, Jesus. Their primary purpose was to help people understand the Messiah when he arrived. And when Jesus comes on the scene, they missed him. Can you imagine Jesus doing a mighty work in your life, showing up when you need him, and you miss him because you wanted to do something that you wanted him to do, and he understood what he wanted to do and wants to do it in your life. Can you imagine being like a Pharisee or a scribe, understanding the Bible so well that when a true movement of the Spirit of God comes to your church, you don't recognize it? Can you imagine being like a Pharisee or a scribe that when a true movement of the Spirit of God comes in your family, you don't recognize it? Can you imagine putting God in such a box, having such a lid on that box and a lock on all the different sides of that box so there's no way anything can get out of there? Can you imagine being so religious and so familiar with God that you are unfamiliar with him in the final analysis and therefore totally incapable of recognizing and humbling yourself when he shows up on the scene? This is the Pharisees. This is the scribes. And this is anyone and everyone who is in love with a religious system in love with even the book of books, the Bible, and misunderstands that the purpose of any religious system, the purpose of the word of God, the Bible, is to help us fall in love and practice loving the God of his word. It's not about the word of God unless the word of God is understood to help us love the God of his word. The Pharisees' response is in verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. On this day, on that fateful day, Luke chapter 6, verse 11, it is recorded in our Father's word. This is a turning point. If it was a cinematic moment, we would hear the music in the background. Probably better than that. <laughs> You would hear the cinematic music for drama and emphasis. This is the turning point where early on in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, it's very clear that this animosity between the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the religious institutionalized people who had no hearts for God, no eyes to be able to see him when he shows up, this is the day when they begin to conspire. 
This is the day when they realize we're not going to humble ourselves. We're not going to follow this Jesus. We don't want other people following him. We've got to figure out what we're going to do to him. Instead of becoming like children and recognizing that the one who they should have known about in the scriptures was right here standing in their midst, they become the greatest adversaries for Jesus possible. Be very careful that in your process of wanting to serve God, in your journey of wanting to serve God, you don't become like a Pharisee, you don't become like a scribe, you don't become someone who is so familiar with the word of God that practically speaking, you're of no use when it comes to following him. The whole purpose of knowing the word of God is so that we follow the God of his word. That's the purpose. Bible memorization has absolutely no use. Absolutely no use whatsoever. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you have memorized. If at the end of your memorization process, you are not putting into practice what you've memorized. Pharisees had so much of the scriptures memorized, so much familiarity in the temple courts and the religious system of Judaism. And here is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, showing up in the flesh, and they don't even recognize him. You know what they're caught up in? Discussing about whether or not Jesus is breaking the fourth of the Ten Commandments by working on the Sabbath. Are Jesus' disciples breaking the Sabbath by picking some, some grain and rubbing the outer shell off so that inside is the kernel that they would be able to eat? They were hungry. They wanted a snack. Wouldn't a snack be good right about now? Wouldn't it be great if we have sheaths of wheat here that you could just, any time during the message, just get up and rub a few of the outer kernels off and get to the kernel inside and just munch on it? Or how about some hot buttered popcorn? Those of you who are movie lovers, the kind with or without the butter, it does not matter. But you've got to get the extra big tub, the extra large, so that you can fill it up multiple times. Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling. And they get hungry. They want a little snack. It happens to be the Sabbath. And what Luke is presenting to us is that Jesus had a way of perpetually, continually, as a matter of intentionality, using the Sabbath to do and say things that the Pharisees and the religious leaders said should not be said. They're legalists. They are nitpickers. They're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. They're whitewashed tombs. They're broods of vipers, as Jesus would go on later to call them. They are missing the movement, the very presence of the Spirit of God, and it's the irony of ironies. These people who are supposed to be spiritually mature, who are supposed to be able to help others be spiritually mature, are complete infants. They're the babies, but in a bad, negative, detrimental way. Instead of Jesus saying, you know what, guys, you're right. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It is the Sabbath. And I understand that this is considered work and that we're commanded in the Scriptures not to work on the day of rest. Six days we're supposed to work. On the seventh day we're supposed to rest. I understand that. And you're right. It was indeed work because they were cleaning off the outer husks and eating and feeding themselves. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is either a raving lunatic or he really is Lord. 
In fact, we see Jesus continually, perpetually. It's a matter of intentionality. The master teacher is the most intentional teacher that ever walked this planet. He's deliberate. He's intentional. He's always saying the right words at the right time to have the right impact. He's all about maximum impact. Jesus is not just randomly saying things, randomly doing things. He's purposefully, intentionally. Listen, he's the word that's become flesh. John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us for a while. He is the word of God in bodily form. He knows the Old Testament. He's the author of the Old Testament. Certainly he knows the fourth of the Ten Commandments. He knows it all. Jesus is the master communicator saying the perfect word at the perfect time to have the perfect, intentional, deliberate impact. He knows what his disciples are doing. We realize from this passage of Scripture in verse 8, we realize that he's able to read their minds. What could be said of somebody who can read other people's minds? Jesus knows what he's doing. He's being intentional. He knows that this is happening on the Sabbath, and he references them. He reminds them of what they should have known, these legalists, these nitpickers who would have been better off being nose pickers. He brings them to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where this instance is recorded, where David, King David, before he's the king, is out and about, and it says this, verse 1 of chapter 21, 1 Samuel, then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? He's concerned that David is vulnerable. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. He's hungry. His men are hungry. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? And in verse 6, so the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Jesus references the Old Testament. He references the passage as the son of David. As the son of David, the one who is in the line of succession from the line of David, who would rule on David's throne, Jesus is nodding to them. Jesus is pointing them to the Old Testament, the, the scriptures that they should have known, to help them understand his identity as it related to David, that he is the one spoken of as the offspring of David. It's reminding of this particular instance where it wasn't legalistic at all. These men were about doing God's work. In the New Testament, Paul says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading grain. These men are engaged in the ministry, God's work. If anybody was involved in the work of God, it certainly was the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus, instead of backing off, instead of taking his foot off the gas, it's pedal to the metal. And what does he say in verse 5 after he is being opposed by the Pharisees? What's his answer? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, you just killed me. 
I'm a Pharisee. Oh, you just, you just took the open wound and you poured a whole bunch of sea salt. You just took that open, you took me on a trip to the Dead Sea filled with salt so that your buoyancy and your body could float when you hop into the Dead Sea. Don't go into the Dead Sea like I did with a wound on your body because it will burn and it will sting because of the salt content. Jesus, instead of taking his foot off the gas, puts it on the gas and says, listen, you don't like that? Oh, really? You don't like, guess what? I'll tell you what else. Son of man is master of the Sabbath. You're interested in the Sabbath, Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Scribe? You're interested in the Sabbath? I'm glad you're interested in the Sabbath. How about if you're interested in the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who created the Sabbath? Right here he is. They would have been fully clear about this idea of Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. They knew who the Son of Man was from Daniel chapter 7. It got their goat that Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man. And now Jesus, to add insult to injury, is saying, right here, I, the one you're looking at right now, on this Sabbath day, I'm Lord, I'm Master over the Sabbath that you're so concerned about. Oh, that would have gotten under their skin. What is he, a raving lunatic, Jesus, to be saying this, to be making this kind of claim about himself? Or is he, in fact, the Lord that he says he is? A lot of people say, you know, Jesus never really came out and said very clearly who he was. I think we're getting a clear picture now that as we marinate on the scriptures, as we take time to let ourselves be in the scriptures one verse at a time and we don't rush like a, like a meatball in a pot of spaghetti sauce that I love to cook or brujol that my mother used to make or my grandmother used to make where you had to have that pot on the stove all day long on the aroma of that fresh meat, the meatballs with the fresh cut garlic. Don't give me any garlic powder. The fresh cut garlic and the parsley and the oregano in that meatball. You, you got to let that meatball marinate all day long. You've got to let the pigskin that's wrapped up and stuffed, for those of you who love hogma, the pigskin that's rolled up and stuffed just so right with the fresh garlic and then held together with toothpicks that adds that delicious flavor to all of that spaghetti. I'm not talking about ragu here. God bless the makers of ragu. I'm not talking about Newman's own. I'm talking about the real deal where it's got to marinate. And when we marinate on, when we camp out in the word of God and we really take a prolonged look at this profound book, we begin to see that Jesus absolutely positively did say who he was. For him who has ears to hear, listen to what Jesus is saying about himself. The Pharisees understood it. They understood the Old Testament. They got what Jesus was saying and it got under their skin. They had a serious case of epidermis penetratus. Serious case. Luke is presenting to us here very clearly that it was Jesus' characteristic way as the master communicator. Imagine that, Jesus being the master communicator with complete intentionality to use the Sabbath as a strategic launching ground to say things that they would never forget, to do things that would mesmerize them. And all they would have had to do, the leaders, would be to humble themselves. All these nitpickers would have had to do was humble themselves and look at the Word of God that they had been so aggressively studying. And they would have understood that this Jesus is doing things and saying things that back up that what, you know, what he's doing with the miracles. They're backing up what he's saying on another Sabbath, verse 6. He entered the synagogue. He's in God's house. 
And he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Look at the detail here of Luke. His right hand was withered. Look at the detail that he's providing for us to help us understand this is not allegory. It's supposed to be intentional. It's supposed to be taken as a historical record. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him, not the man with the withered hand so much, but Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. We want to talk about straining at gnats and swallowing camels. This is ridiculous. They can't see the forest through the trees. But look at this. He read their email. <laughs> he read their mail. He's listening to their cell phone conversations. Now, Jesus isn't part of the NSA. Today we hear all this discussion about the NSA and this guy named Ed Snowden who has said, you know what, we've crossed the line in terms of listening to people's conversations on cell phones. I'm, you're probably scared that I'm saying this in a public place, aren't you? Isn't this sad? Ed Snowden, who's in exile in another country because the United States has removed his passport because he's revealed secrets about how the NSA is spying on you and me by reading our emails all the time, listening to our cell phone conversations all of the time. Those of us like me who believe in supporting the Constitution of the United States, those of us who believe in religious freedom, in freedom of speech, those of us who despise terrorism just like I do. How many of you despise terrorism? Of course you do. Well, listen, do you think the NSA can read your email and listen to your phone conversations? Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows your thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He knows that they're upset. He knows that what he is about to do is going to set them on edge. He knows that this will be a turning point in the life of the Pharisees and the scribes. He knows that he has an opportunity to either ease up or march forward. And Jesus, with great deliberation, looks to his right, looks all around the synagogue, looks to his left. There's a pregnant pause. You could have heard a pin drop, I'm sure, as he looks around. And the question for him would have been to heal or not to heal. The Sabbath, how significant is that? And what does Jesus do? He deliberately tells the man, reach out your hand. Stretch it out. And the man is instantaneously, miraculously, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, healed. Now, if Jesus was just concerned and interested in his own popularity, if he wanted to just gain a following, regardless of the followers, the quality of the followers, he would have never done that. He would have tried to, to win the Pharisees over by speaking politically correct language. He would have eased off on the gas, but Jesus understands that the kingdom of God is so serious and doing his father's work is so serious that he doesn't care who is offended and who is not offended. He's going to tell it like it is. He's going to show to everybody who he is for him who has ears to hear, for people who are interested in the kingdom of God, the movement of God, they would get it. For those who are interested in a religious system, they wouldn't get it. They'd be frustrated. And on that day, on this day, the Pharisees, the scribes, began to conspire, began to get upset, began to figure out what they were going to do. These nitpickers are looking at the very face of God. God had shown up in their midst. They had prayed and fasted for the Messiah to come. They had all types of religious systems to come, and God had shown up in their midst. And they can't take it. 
in your journey with God, as you're walking with God, as you're asking God to move in your life, as you're hungry for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God, how hungry are you for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God? How hungry are you for the real Jesus? How hungry are you for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in your life, in your family? How hungry are you for the presence of Jesus, for Jesus to come and do what only Jesus can do? Religious systems have come and they've gone. They exist to this day. There ain't no religious system. And yes, I said ain't on purpose. There ain't no religious system that can do what only Jesus can do. Nobody, nothing can move like Jesus. That's right. The animosity is obvious between the Pharisees, the scribes, and Jesus. The clarity of Jesus is absolutely unmistakable. He's able to read their minds. Jesus knows the struggles that you're experiencing in your family. He knows, before you even present it to him, what your deepest need is. He understands because he's able to read your mind. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you need even more than you understand what your needs are. He knows what your struggles are, what your difficulties are in your family, with your children, with your parents, at your workplace, in your neighborhood. He knows everything about you, every intimate detail about you. And yes, he even knows when you take your finger and you put it up your nose. He knows. And he knows if you're a nitpicker. Nitpickers won't enter the kingdom of heaven because they'll miss God every time. Only people who are like little children, recognizing their complete dependency upon God and humility, recognizing that they need God to do a work because they can't do it for themselves, only those will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the way it works. And so the next time somebody says to you, I'm not so sure that Jesus really made it clear about who he was and his identity. Really? Really? Have you really taken time to marinate in the Word of God? Have you really taken time to camp out in the Word of God and really closely, carefully, cautiously, patiently examine that Jesus is either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he really is Master, he really is Lord. He really was speaking intentionally on purpose to say the right thing at the right time, to have the right impact. The master communicator speaking, communicating masterfully so that anybody who was humble, anybody who was really ready for a mighty movement of God, anybody who was really ready to receive the Savior that they really need would be able to recognize with absolute clarity, if you listen, you will hear him. If you watch, you will see him him. Jesus is passing by in your life right now. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.